we've been talking about shining, been talking about sharing Jesus in a way that is natural, not pretentious. And so what we've been hearing is a lot of people sharing honest stories about how Christ has affected their lives. And there's been a tremendous amount of vulnerability around that. One of the things, um, though, that I wanted to do was sort of revisit some basic principles that Jesus taught us and then apply them. And so I want to suggest, if we can, to start by relooking at two pieces of Scripture, both of which came from the mouth of Christ. The first one is in Matthew 5, and we're going to look at this together if we can. This is in your handout as well. If you have your Bible, you're more than well, well, welcome to turn to that. 14th verse, Matthew 5. Uh, it's, Jesus said this. He made this statement. He was talking to people who were following him, and he was talking uh, to those who were attached to him. And he made a statement about this, about who they were what, we were, what we really were supposed to be on his behalf. Those of us who claim to love him and know him are to be like this. He says, you are the light of the world. Like a city that is on a hilltop that cannot be hidden, right? He says, no one lights a lamp and then puts it under a basket. Instead, a lamp is placed on a stand where it gives light to everyone that is in the house. Now, one of the things about a city that's on a hill that cannot be hidden, I mean, you can see a city from way far away when it's lit up. And Jesus is saying, you are to be a city on a hill. You are to be a, a, a shining light. But more than that, he says, you are to be like a light that is lit. And that is, you know, in their day, a light was an oil lamp. And he says, nobody lights a lamp and um, just basically takes a basket and puts it over the lamp. He says, because the purpose for lighting a lamp is to have it shine. And he says, in fact, if you put the basket on it, it, it runs the risk of putting the thing completely out. It was born to shine. It was born to illuminate. It was born to give light. And so Jesus is saying, live into what we were born to do. He's talking about this. He goes on to say, in the same way, in just this way, um, I want you to let your light shine in this way. I want you, your good deeds to shine out for everybody to see. So that everyone will praise your heavenly Father. The older version puts it like this. Let your light so shine before men, before people, that they may see the goodness of your life and be, be drawn to a point of giving glory to God. That, that what we are being told here is that how we, listen, how we live matters. The quality of our life matters. The goodness of our life matters. That's what Jesus was talking about. And we often talk about the quality of life. But real quality of life is how it's lived, not what we possess. It really can't be measured by, we're not talking about standard of living. We're talking about type of way in which we live our lives, the goodness of our lives. One of the things that God has called us to do is to be a growing people who are increasingly reflections of his goodness. And I think this is a huge thing. It's one thing to say we love Christ, but it's another thing to live a life that honors him and is pleasing him. And honestly, that's why we talk a lot about paying attention to, to growing we talk a lot about not just simply using our past as an excuse. Just say, well, that's how I have always been. You know, it's kind of how my family was. This is kind of how I am. Or maybe even conceding that there are areas of our lives that we're not really addressing that God's wanting us to address. He wants us to be a good people who are blessing other people, who are serving other people, who are representing his heart well in our actions, in the way in which we live, the attitudes that we convey, um, the way in which we treat people, the way in which we keep our most important commitments. These things matter to God. It matters how we live, not just what we believe. That's one thing we know. But I want us to take that, that Matthew 5 and set it next to another thing that Jesus said in Matthew 28. And again, weeks back, we used this as a launching pad. Many of us are familiar with these words. They often are called the Great Commission. 
Jesus gave them to his disciples. Take what we just read in Matthew 5, which emphasizes the importance of living a good life with what we read here in Matthew 28, which is going to say something a little bit different as well. Look at it. Jesus said this. He says, Go, therefore, and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things that I have commanded you. And lo, listen, I am with you always, even unto the ends of the age. What is Jesus saying? He, it, it, Matthew 28, he's saying, we have to be willing to talk about this message for the purpose of seeing people come to know Jesus. He's saying that it's important. He's talking about disciple making and proclamation. So what Jesus is getting at is the importance here of being willing to talk about him. How will people know if they never hear? In fact, that's exactly the point that is made in one of the most, I think, essential uh, passages. It's a soaring word from the Apostle Paul that connects directly to what Jesus is saying in Matthew 28. It's in Romans 10. I just want to read through it as well. It connects to what we just shared. Paul asks this question rhetorically, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? It's talking about how will people ever know Jesus? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them? And how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scriptures say, how beautiful are the feet of messengers who bring good news. And then he says, but not everyone welcomes the good news. For even Isaiah the prophet said, Lord, who has believed our message? Key verse, 17. Look at this. So faith, living faith, comes from hearing that is, hearing the good news about Christ. This is huge, because what are we being told here? We see that this, this gospel, this good news, has been given to us to be given away. And that faith is ignited when people hear about Christ, which means that people who know and love him have a responsibility to, to talk about him. So what we're saying here is that we need to understand that shining our light is both living, seeking to live a good life at the same time, to be willing to talk about him. It's not an either-or proposition. It's living and speaking. It's good works and good words. You see what I'm saying? Maybe, and think about it. Where are the places, the contexts, where most of us are going to really get a chance to, to live our, our, out our, our life for Christ, to, to shine on his behalf? I was thinking about this. I think, you know, there probably are three main areas where we actually get to really shine, and we have to think about what it means to do it. One of them is our, in our family, in our family relationships, you know, amongst the people that we're connected to you know, by blood, as it were, or by deep relationship. It's the, oftentimes the people who know us best. And they know us with all of our flaws in ways oftentimes other people do not know us. And oftentimes, listen, I've... I've, I've I've had to talk to a lot of people about Jesus who had really been damaged because what was being professed at a public level wasn't being lived out at a home level. And we're not talking perfection, but we're talking about sincerity and honesty with a degree of, 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 of grace and love that fills a house with the goodness of God. So one place is the family. Where is another place? I think our friendships and our social networks is another place where we get, we get to ask ourselves questions about how much are we willing to let others know about our love for Jesus. In the context of our friendships, do people know how much the Lord means to us? In the context of our, our networks and our, and our 
you know, a lot of us are part of, of groups of people that we're connected to because we share a common interest. Some of us, we know people that are you know, at the gym. Some of us know people because of certain hobbies that we're engaged in or certain kinds of things that we do. Um, there might be a club that we you know, are involved with, of an association of people we're connected to, we have friendships with. And you know what? We get to think about what does it mean to shine Jesus in the context of those friendships, those relationships. And now that we live in a very connected world in where we have friends who are friends, who are friends, who are friends, you know what I'm saying? It's connecting all. There are, how do we think about representing the Lord in those relationships, those social networks that we're engaged in? And of course, the third one, probably the main one for many of us, not, not exclusively. Unless we're a student, we probably are thinking in terms of, of the workplace. And, and the workplace is where a lot of us spend a vast majority of our day. And the people we work with, that's where a lot of this is going to be actually lived out. And it got me thinking about an amazing incident that occurs in the Gospels that really connects to what we're talking about. It had to do with something that was connected to the controversy that Jesus has sort of created by, in a sense, declaring himself to be the Christ, the Messiah. He, he was teaching in the temple. He had, it, by the time we get to John 7, if you, were, if you were reading this through, Jesus has become a point of great controversy that the Pharisees, the, the leaders of Jerusalem, the temple authorities, what we call the Sanhedrin, had made a decision that Jesus needed, really they, they made a decision that he needed to be put to death, but if at, least, at least he needed to be arrested and interrogated. Now, this would not, in this particular moment, it wasn't going to happen the way that it was seemed to be playing out. Later on, it would happen. But the fact is that in this moment, they had heard that Jesus was teaching in the temple. And he was making these claims. And there were a lot of people that were interested in him. They were following him. And so the leaders made a decision that they were going to have him arrested. And they sent a contingent of officers and soldiers to go have him arrested. And we know that when they, when they got there, um, they were fully expecting them to bring Jesus back with them. This is what happened, however, in the 45th verse of John 7. This is in the handout. He says this, Then the officers came to the chief priests and the Pharisees who said to them, Why have you not brought him? When they came back, they had came, come without Jesus. And yet the word had gotten back to them that Jesus was still in the temple, teaching away. And they said, What's going on here? Didn't we tell you guys to go get him and bring him back? And then they utter a response that basically says, and you can see it here, uh, it says, you know what, the officers answered, no man ever spoke like this man. It's almost like, we went to go get him, but then there was, he was teaching, and then we kind of like started listening to what he was teaching. <laughs> and then the more they listened, the, the more they dropped their defenses, and then they forgot even why they were there. And then, then they decided that, I mean, he didn't, he's no criminal. And, these words, they're not like any words I've ever heard. They're like, some, uh, we understand why everybody's listening to them. And, 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 and so when they come back to, the, to the, the authorities, they say, you know, we just felt like nobody who spoke like that. Come on. And, of course, that creates a firestorm that's going to have, uh, we're going to look at something that takes place within this because what happens is they respond, and it's hard to capture it when you read it, but it says the Pharisees answered them, but it was like they were incredulous. They, they were absolutely, they were, okay, they're livid. They go, are you deceived as well? 
What is wrong with you guys? Don't tell us you've been seduced by him too, right? Like, you know, snap out of it, right? Wake up. He, what are you doing? These are just, listen, the people who listen to him are deceived simpletons. They had already made up their mind. Jesus, at best, in their mind, was a fraud. And at worst, he was someone who was working in, in their mind, harmony with even demonic entities. They had completely rejected the possibility that he was who he said he was, or claimed to be, or that who some of the, if we can use their phrase, the more ignorant, the deceived, thought him to be. And then they make this point to the soldiers. Listen to us. Have any of us, come on, have any of us, we are, we are the leaders, the educated, the ones in authority, we are the students of the script. Have any of us, any of us here embraced him? It, it, it was an attempt to, to shame them in, in whatever burgeoning faith was happening, whatever, whatever was going on there. It was like they were humiliating them to a point of, of diminishing their admiration for Jesus. So they want to diminish their, any, any admiration for Jesus needs to be diminished, humiliated out of them. Shame them to a point of, of, of letting that go. And, and again, it, it, it's something that sh- basically they're saying, surely you're not, <laughs> surely you're not lining up with the, the simple and the ignorant, the rabble. Surely you, 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 <laughs> you know, none of us who, who are the learned have, have accepted him. But here's the deal. Here's the irony. Uh, who was really the ignorant? I mean, for one thing, they were ignorant of their ignorance, right? Two, they were ignorant, because they were ignorant of how ignorant they were. Two, they were ignorant of who Jesus was. Three, key, they were ignorant of their own group because we know that there were people in that group who were listening to what was being said who secretly admired and believed in Jesus. So who among us believes? Some of them are back there. (laughs) But they're not saying anything. One of the men, though, we know his name. We see it. It says here, Nicodemus, verse 50. This is the same, by the way, we're told. You see how the Bible puts it in parentheses? He who came to Jesus by night being one of them. (laughs) You know what that's a reference to? It's a reference to an earlier visitation on the part of Nicodemus, who was a member of this leading group, who had secretly, under the cloak of darkness, made his way through the streets of Jerusalem to have an arranged meeting with Jesus because he was compelled and intrigued by what he was teaching. He wanted to talk to him. He wanted to ask him questions. He was a seeker. He meets with Jesus in secret. It's recorded in the third chapter of John. There's this amazing exchange that occurs. And you know what happens in that secret meeting? In the course of that conversation, Jesus utters some verse. They weren't verses then. They were his words that have become probably the most quoted verses in the history of human civilization. It was in the context of that secret meeting and the conversation that Jesus said these words, for God so loves this world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever would believe in him should not perish but have everlasting life. God did not send his son, listen, Nicodemus, into this world to condemn it, but that the world through him might be saved. The irony, of course, is that it was in that secret meeting that these words were uttered that have been broadcast throughout history and into every corner of the world. 
But Nicodemus was the one. It was out of the course of that conversation that those words occur, occurred that we have, we have to this day been given that declare the purpose of Jesus. Now, that, later on, we know, remember we talked about this in the other series around Easter time, the scenes around the cross? We talked about how Nicodemus, at certain point, decides, after Jesus has died, he decides he is going to let everybody know that he loved and admired Jesus. And so he will, with another one of his colleagues, a man by the name of Joseph of Arimathea, who happens to own a tomb in a garden that is unused, the tomb of a rich man. And they together make a decision to break ranks and to do what they were not willing to do fully when Jesus was alive. They go and they ask Pilate for the body of Jesus so that he is not simply thrown into a pit and devoured. They want to take his body and at least honor him. And they make it known that they had admired him. But up until that point, it doesn't seem like they had ever really showed how much they did believe. And the reason that's important is because we go back here and it's pretty clear when you look at verse 50 that Nicodemus is being very cautious with his words and his opinions concerning Jesus. And, and I think the reason he was cautious, you guys, is because he cared about the opinion of his peers. And maybe some of us struggle with this as well or have the same challenge. But when I look at Nicodemus, you got to understand, what was at risk for him? What was at risk for him? His status. His, 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 rep, his respect as a professional, his hard-earned reputation that he had paid dearly to have. His, he, the, look, the, these were his, these, and, and all the accoutrements that accompanied it. And, and what's more, he loved, he loved what he had. He loved, these, were, these were people, these were his people, these were his friends, these were his, work, his workmates, if you will. These were fellow scholars. These were people who his family's family interacted with. This was not some simple thing. And so here he is stuck with a dilemma, right? I mean, he's got a real serious problem because there are p potential consequences to being branded a follower of Jesus, of this Nazarene. And Nicodemus must have felt torn up on the inside. On the one hand, he doesn't want to be a hypocrite. I just want to be a coward. But neither do I want to be branded. Neither do I want to be stigmatized, marginalized, ostracized, put out of, 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 of a community of people that I, I enjoy. And the, these, these people are my friends. And, and so he, he's almost like Nehemiah. You can hear him saying, I need to be careful here. I need to be careful here. And I look at this and I go, wow, God. I mean, he, I understand. I understand his dilemma. I see his situation. I mean, he was in a very awkward position, wasn't he? Why? Because he, he, he was new to this. It's like, look, I mean, I, I, he, his faith is still forming. He, he doesn't even know for sure exactly who Jesus is. He admires him greatly. He wants to defend him. But if I defend him, I'm going to get put into a category. I, I can't risk it. I can't risk my reputation. I can't risk losing these relationships. No, I'm going I'm to. And plus, I don't even feel qualified to defend Jesus. I mean, I really, I don't. Right? There's this whole, you can, you can see his rationale. And even if I did, even if I did, is it the right thing to do? Is it the smart thing to do? No, I'm not. You know what he decides? I'll do this. I'm going to try to do something. I'm going to try. I'm not going to show. I, I, it's, like, it's like he's almost going, I'm just going to kind of test the waters here and sort of blunt this intense anger towards Jesus. I'm going to speak out. I'm going to do it discreetly. Look what he says. It says in, in verse 51, he, he makes a statement. Nicodemus says this. Does, listen, guys, does, one, does, does our law, 
Now, just hold on a second, everybody. It's like you can see him saying this. Does our law judge a man? Really? Is this this our tradition? Does our law judge a man before it actually hears him out? Have we we already made our decision about this Jesus? And, 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 And before we even really know what he is doing, and we haven't really heard him out, it's like he's making an appeal. He's not saying, he doesn't say, I'm a follower of Jesus, and I love him. And I'm intrigued by him. Can't do that. But what he does try to do is he tries to say, you know, just, you know we, we need to hold on here. And you know what? He is not prepared for the intensity of the response. It's not unlike us trying to just sort of like test the waters. And what we find out is, wow, man, there's real anger here. I got to be real. Look what happens. Look what it says they, they, they said to him. They answered him, verse 52. And they said to him, are you also from Galilee? Now, we read that and we go, oh, not that bad. Are you also from Galilee? That was meant like it was an insult. Because you know what was in Galilee? When they said Galilee, this is what they meant. See, they were from Judea. They weren't just from Judea. They were from Jerusalem. Jerusalem was sophisticated. It was the, it was the urban center. It was a place of the highly educated, the learned, the law bearers. Galilee, that's the place of the simple, simple-minded common folk up there in the north. Somebody said, the hillbillies up in the north. <laughs> it was meant, it was said with, with condescension, right? It, it, was, sent, it was said with, with, with like, there was a stigma on it. Oh, you from Galilee? What are you, what are you talking about, Nicodemus? You search the scriptures. Do you see anybody that eat anything that even suggests that the Messiah is coming from such a place as that, and that's where he's from. What kind of, what's going on with you? Just, I don't know. Just, just, just pointing out. We, we just, he won't. He doesn't step forward. It says that after that, everybody went their way. It says, what does it say at the end? It says that they all, everyone went to his own home. It's like, all right, let's talk about. What's there for us? Quickly, time that we have left. First thing, want to revisit where we were and then put a couple of things on the bottom of it. When it comes to, you know, being a light for Jesus, when it comes to shining for Jesus, let's take what we've just looked at and apply it. Okay, key thing here, um, one, number one, is this, that a well-lived life, a well-lived life, if you think about it, words without a well-lived life is basically hollow. It, um, without, a, without a commitment to living a good life, a, work that, a life that's, that's expressed in good works, it can really ring hollow. In other words, what I'm talking about is if we're not, we, we can't be hypocritical. That's what I'm saying. We can't say we love the Lord and then live like we're disconnected from it. We can't say we believe one thing and then live another. I mean, we can do it, but it will have absolutely no effect on people. And in fact, when people connect how we've been living to what we say we are can actually undermine in a certain way by causing people to say, well, if that's what it looks like, I don't want anything to do. Because you know what? They're just a bunch of hypocrites anyway. That clearly, our culture is good at, really good at one thing. It can smell a hypocrite a mile away. And it's good at pointing things out. What, is it, what am I saying? I'm saying is that, look, it's never about being perfect. But we need to be honest. We need to be growing. We need to be a good people. We need to be seek to do what Jesus said, to live with goodness, to think about how we, how, what is a reputation at work? Are we a good worker? How do we treat people we say we love? Do we fly off the handle and say, well, that's just kind of how I am? How about habits that have been in our life? Is Christ showing up in such a way that we're actually deciding, you know what, I'm going to get accountable with other people who are also trained, and I'm going to start training with people who want to get better. 
I'm going to start taking seriously this life with Jesus. Like many, many of you have done. Many of us have done this. It's not about me having my act together. It's about, I'd never be good enough for God. It's about letting the goodness of God fill my life so that I'm going to get better. It's about being healed. It's about getting better. It's about growing. It's about moving forward with God. It's about saying, you know what? This used to be a real problem for me. I've gotten a lot better. Christ has made a huge difference in my life. Or there were past wounds in my life. They hurt me bad. Hurt me bad. But you know what? I'm not saying they're not real, but, but Jesus really has touched my life. And I'm really trying to be a vehicle of his life to other people. I'm looking at my life the way I'm living. I'm, I'm trying to honor God in the way in which I'm conducting myself, the actions of my life, the goodness of my life, the reactions of my life. may not get it right all the time, but I'm on the growing plane. I'm doing better, and I'm trusting God with my life and my future. You see what I'm talking about? Good works matter. But secondly, and this is also true for a Christ follower, listen, good works, goodness, without any connection whatsoever, ever, ever to Jesus, has real limited value. And I'm talking about for those of us who would follow Jesus. Because it, honestly, if all people say every now and then is, man, you're a really good guy, and we never, ever dare to talk about Jesus, we never dare to connect the dots between, you know what, um, I'm, I love Christ. If people around us who work with us, um, who, who are connected to us in, in our friendships, have no idea that we, like Nicodemus, do they even know, does anybody know that we love him, that, we, that we, our life has been touched, we've been affected by him, we have a story to tell? I mean, again, what's the point? Because otherwise... Otherwise, all the credit, whatever credit there is, whatever goodness, is just about us. It's nothing about God. Okay, stay with me. That, that's why, and here's the third piece, that is why both good works and good words, both um, action and a confession, both serving and benediction. It's, it's about speaking life in his name as well as living a life that honors his name. It's both. That's what we're pursuing, to be open to talking about him again. Because if people who love him never talk about him, people will never know him. And he's trusted. Okay. That's why, and here's the fourth piece, that is why we need to ask God. If we're really serious about trying to shine him. And again, as with much integrity as we can. That's why we need to exercise. Here it is. Relational, and this is important, relational discernment, um, conversational wisdom, and then courage. In other words, some of us are in very delicate places. We're not unlike Nicodemus. We have to really think clearly about how we're going to talk about the Lord and when we're going to do it and where people are coming from and what are the perceptions they have about who Jesus is. Some of us, it's just an issue of us having enough courage to speak out. Others of us have to really be thoughtful about framing our words and, and how we are going to present Christ. But I'm going to suggest this, that there are going to be times, no matter what, where courage will be required. Jesus said these words. He didn't say them in anger. I don't believe so. He said this, if you are ashamed of me, I will be ashamed of you. The Apostle Paul said in Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed. The gospel of Christ, it, I have found it to be the power of God. I'm not ashamed of the gospel. It's the power of God that can change a man and save a man and a woman. It leads a person to the Jew and to the Greek, to all people. And Paul was a man who had tremendous pedigree. He had many, a significant amount of educational training and an extremely high intellect. And he said, you know what? I have to be very careful because those things actually, if, as long as they're bridges, that's fine. But that's not the message that changes people's lives. It is the power of the simple message of the good news of Jesus, that there has come a Savior who lives forevermore. And when he's welcomed into a life, he can change it forever now. And 
eternity. Watch it happen. It's about the power of what Jesus can do in a person's life when their heart is opened up to him. And he's saying, this is what I glory in. Now, uh, the, Jesus made this other statement. Just kind of stay with me on this. We're all near. He said this. In Matthew 10, he makes this statement, and it's really interesting what he says. Look at the language he uses. He says this. He's talking to his followers. He says this. Behold. Listen to me. Let's behold. Listen. I'm sending you out. I'm sending you out in the world, he says to his disciples. I'm sending you out like wolves, like sheep among wolves. What is he saying? What is a sheep? A, very, a sheep is vulnerable. I'm sending you out to places of vulnerability. And when you go there, this is what I want you to be like. And he uses language that is not common. Jesus doesn't usually speak in this language. He says, I want you to be, when you go out into these vulnerable places, I want you to be as wise as a serpent. Now, that is rare that he uses a word like serpent in a positive way. But what he's saying is, I want you to exercise a degree of thoughtfulness and shrewdness and be very thoughtful about how you represent me and what is the context that it is being done. In other words, what are the people like that you're talking to? And what's going to connect with them? And what's going to co immediately cause their guard to drop up? Be as, as He says, as, as wise as a serpent. And then he says, but as harmless or as gentle as a dove. It's like, do not allow whatever, whatever, whatever is thrown your way, do not get angry. And you know how hard this is? Do not get angry. Do not be proud. You answer with humility. You share your heart. You share it with wisdom, but with humility of spirit. And loved ones, the last thing I'll say is this, and this is good for all of us, and that's why it's so important, because I can't do it right on my own. Never, none of us can. But you know what? Here's the key. The key is this. It's this last piece, that before we can ever shine something out, right? Before the light can shine out, listen, it's got to shine within. And that's why when we get to sing a song like the one we sang prior to just this moment, it was about, Lord, I, I, I believe in you. I surrender to you. I, I want, when, you, when, you, when we love the Lord, it's going to get out of us. It's, I'm, you know, I think a lot of these superhero movies lately where, you know, they just get this amazing power and all of a sudden you just see this light gleaming out of them, right? They're, you know, it's just power. And the thing is this, I'm thinking about the life of Jesus shining out how it wants it. Even when it's contained, it's still shining out, touching people. And the idea is this. You know what Albert Schweitzer called Jesus? He said, he said, he is the luminous Nazarene. And we follow the luminous Nazarene. We would be luminous ones as well, light bearers in his name. And that means we're thinking about how we're living, how we're loving, how we're growing, how we're contending. It, we're thinking about how we're going to talk about him. We're looking to be, you know what? Because we're, we're trying to, to cultivate a relationship with him that is so good that I got to talk about him because I love him. It's like when Jesus had all, he could have said anything he wanted to to Simon Peter on the other side of Peter's failure. He could have said, how could you do this? Or this is what I want you to do. But you know what he, he said? I want to ask you one question, my friend. Do you love me? Do you love me? Because it was like, when all is said and done, that's the key. Because if you love me, you will not be ashamed of me, and it's going to show up in the lives of other people. If you love me, feed my sheep. Bless others. Speak on my behalf. Lord, um, you know 
you know sometimes how challenging it is for some of us. Some of us, Lord, we're just really struggling, just trying to live an honest life. We need your power. We need your presence. We need your love at work in our lives. Please, Lord, keep working in us, God. (laughs) You've done amazing things already. I see so much life everywhere, Lord. I see such goodness. I see the difference you can make, Lord. I watched it with my own eyes. I marvel at your grace. I marvel at your grace inside of me. You put up with stuff. You love us, Lord. Even in our brokenness, stubbornness, and pride, you love us still. You call us to better places, growing places. I thank you for that. But I also pray, Lord, that you will give us courage. Some of us, we really need courage to speak up. We haven't been willing to do it. And we need to have it to stand up every now and then and just say, I love him. I care about him. I believe in him. And so, Lord, before you can shine really out, shine on the inside. Keep shining. Shine ever brighter in us. So I ask for your blessing. I'm so excited, Lord. I'm excited about the good things you're going to do in the days ahead. And I'm excited to be alive and to be a part of the great adventure. And we're in this together, people all over the world who love you. May we all seek to, and I know, you've trusted your reputation to flawed people. I get it. I don't understand it. But I thank you, Lord. You've trusted your reputation with us, too. May we love you well and love others well in your name. May that light shine in Jesus' name. So I pray, Lord, bless these closing minutes. Bless the song, which really summarizes everything we've shared. Bless our time of giving. May, May we be serious in the way in which we honor you with the things that we exchange for the hours of our day. We ask you this in Jesus' name. Amen.